Good morning. Okay. How's that? Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, I got applause. That's so exciting. Um, Speaking of applause, we have almost 20 people every morning that we meet in here who faithfully serve with our kids in these hallways here. And if you don't have kids, maybe you haven't even been over there to see it. If you have kids, you've probably been back there with them. But they, they're there like twice a month. They're back there serving with our children and they're teaching them and pouring their lives into them. So the only way they have to hear the message is to hear it online. So I thought it would be cool if we just gave them a round of applause that they can hear um, as they're listening during the week. So can we just say thank you to all of those who are serving with our kids that aren't here with us this morning? So. Thank you. That was awesome. They're not going to have to wait till they hear it online. I guess they're going to hear it right now. Thank you for doing that. And thank you to those of you who serve. Some of you are in here this morning. Some of you are back there this morning. But just thank you to everyone. You know, we have people that show up early that set all of this up. There's so many people doing so many things, people praying for you every week. And we're just glad that you're here with us this morning. This morning, we're starting a new series in the book of Acts. So if you want to know where we're going to be each week, you can put a bookmark in your Bible in the book of Acts, and we're going to be there for a long, long time. To get through the book of Acts is going to take us almost a year, um, and I hope that sounds exciting to you, not overwhelming. We're going to take it in bite-sized pieces. Some mornings are bigger bites than others. Um, But what should we expect from a study in the book of Acts as we begin this series this morning? What is it that we would expect as we come to the book of Acts, I think what we should expect to see is we spent the last three weeks talking about the gospel and what that means for us as a church, what that means for us as individuals, what that means for us in our mission in the world. When we come to the book of Acts, what we should expect to see is that the gospel is more than life-changing. The gospel does more than apply to me as an individual. The gospel is world-changing. And if you see, the title of this series is Acts Unleashed to Change the World. What we're going to see in this, Acts is really the one account in Scripture that documents the explosion of the Christian faith in the 30 years following the ministry of Christ. So Christ is here and he's serving, and when he leaves, there is an explosion of Christianity throughout the world, and that's what we're going to witness as we look at the book of Acts It's essentially a record of the beginning of Christianity, the beginning of the church, where the followers of Christ are unleashed to do the ministry that Jesus started. The reason that um, Christianity is so different than everything else that we have seen before is captured in this quote that I found by Napoleon, of all people. I don't spend a lot of time looking up Napoleon quotes, but I did find this one. I thought it was really telling. Napoleon said this, he said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. 
the difference between what Christ did and what we've seen everybody else in history do is that what Jesus brought was an uncommon kingdom. It was a kingdom founded on love. It was different than what we had seen before. And Acts really is the story of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Acts is a story of regular men and women with limited resources picking up the ministry that Jesus started and running with it. It's the story of a handful of people that have been equipped with this irresistible message. It's what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks, the message of the gospel. And so this handful of people with this irresistible message and what happens when they go out with that. So we're talking about just regular people doing these extraordinary things because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the book of Acts this morning, that's what we're going to see. If we could summarize the book of Acts, I would say it's the story of ordinary people with an irresistible message empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world. That's why we've titled the series the way we have. In my Bible, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. A similar um, name we could give it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, this is what the followers of Jesus are doing, but they're doing it because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Before we open the Bible this morning, I would just ask if you would pray with me, and then we're going to open God's Word. Father God, we thank you that we can be here this morning. We thank you for this place and this church. We thank you that we have your Word. We thank you for your Son and the work that he's done. I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us from your Word. Lord, I pray that we would get excited about viewing how it is that your church and your followers were unleashed on the world with an irresistible message of love and forgiveness, and that we would be inspired this morning by you, Lord, to do the same. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before we um, start in a whole book series that's going to take us a long time, usually what we would do is give you an overview of the whole book. We don't really have time to do that this morning. What I want to do is just give you a little bit of context so that you know where we're headed. Um, I want to give you a couple of things um, to think about so that the book of Acts has a little bit of context for you as we open it this morning. The book of Acts is written by Luke. Um, Luke is a, a follower of Jesus. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. And when we use that word Gentile, what we mean is not Jewish. You'll see that word a lot in scripture. Um, you'll see it a lot throughout the book of Acts, so it's good to know what that means. Luke is also the author of another book in the Bible. You can probably guess what it is. It's the book of Luke. And Luke and Acts can, uh, can kind of be thought of as like the continuation of a thought. It could almost be one book. In fact, uh, Luke references the book of Luke in the book of Acts. Uh, it's the continuation of his recording of history. A lot of us think of Luke as one of Jesus' disciples because he's written one of the Gospels, but he was not an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. He is, however, playing a major role during the events that unfold in the book of Acts. So you will hear him reference himself in the book, although he seems to kind of try to avoid that, but you'll see him reference himself during the book of Acts. The context of the book is essentially the book of Luke. So if we look back at the book of Luke, the book of Luke is about how salvation came. 
The book of Luke is the story of the gospel. It's the good news. It's the coming of Christ and the ministry of Christ. So if the book of Luke is about how salvation came, the, the book of Acts is about how salvation spread. It's about what happens to the ministry of Christ after he leaves and returns to the Father. In fact, Luke chapter 24 gives us a little bit of context for where we'll be this morning in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you would start by turning to Luke chapter 24. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we have some right here on the end. If you want to raise your hand, someone will pass one to you. If that feels a little weird, you can cheat off a neighbor, you can just listen. Um, all of those are acceptable. If you're using one of our Bibles, Luke chapter 24 is page 885. It's the very, very end of the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 46. And it says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 46, we're right at the end of the book of Luke, and he says this, and let me read this, and you just, I'm going to put some emphasis in here so that you hear what I'm hearing. Thus it is written, there's three things, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Those first two things we're very familiar with. That's the gospel. That Christ died, was raised from the dead, that's one and two. But does number three surprise you? In this sentence, it's given equal weight. Three things. That Christ died, that he rose from the dead, and that forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. The saving work has been completed through Christ on the cross, so that's a given, but who's going to be saved if nobody knows about it? That's essentially what we're talking about. The next step to the gospel is the proclamation of the gospel. The next step is the going out and telling people about what Christ has done. That's where the book of Luke ends. That's exactly where the book of Acts begins. And so, if you would flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 1. See, I cheated. I have little bookmarks in my Bible which you are welcome to do because we're going to be in Acts for a while. Acts chapter 1, if you're using our Bible, that's page 909. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses this morning and we're just going to take them slowly and walk through them so that we understand what's happening here. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he starts by saying, hey, if you remember, I wrote another book. It's the first book that you saw. It's the book of Luke. We just talked about that. And he said, what did I do in that book? What was the purpose of that? It was the story of the gospel. I told you everything that Jesus began to do and teach, the start of his ministry. The other thing here to point out is that he's writing this to somebody specific. If we look back at the beginning of Luke, you don't have to do this. I will do it. But the book of Luke is written to the same person. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, this is Luke speaking, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing the book of Luke and the book of Acts to this guy, Theophilus. Theophilus is likely Luke's uh, benefactor or his, um, his patron who is supporting the work that he's doing. Luke is writing this historical account of what has happened so that he can have confidence, he says, in what he's heard. If you want to believe what you've heard, I will document it for us so that you have it. This is the person who's supporting Luke's writing, probably the publishing of his work, and um, supporting him as he researches these things. So Luke is writing a proof, essentially, this historical document of what Jesus has done And then in the book of Acts, we're going to see that Luke is writing what happened to his followers after Jesus leaves. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus leaving this morning also. So he says, I wrote this book. Um, In the first book, I dealt with everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he says in verse 2, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he said, I wrote about it until he was taken up. Sorry, I'm like right in the line of that projector. <laughs> After, so before he's taken up, he gives commands to the apostles that he had chosen. That's what that verse says. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here it is, Jesus is alive After he's been crucified, he's appearing to the disciples, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So he's around for a little bit over a month, and he's telling them about this irresistible message. The whole story of Jesus' ministry and the whole story of Luke is the irresistible message, and then Jesus comes back after his death and he talks to the apostles about the kingdom of God that's coming. The irresistible message is what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, and we will continue to talk about from Sunday to Sunday, the message that they're equipped with, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die in their place, in our place. He sent his son to die while they were sinners, while they were rejecting him, he sent him to die. So that anyone who believed that message would not die but would live with him that Jesus had been killed, that Jesus came back from the dead and has now risen and is with the Father. As we said, all authority and power has been given to him and then he has commissioned his followers on this mission to continue his ministry on the earth. And in verse four, he continues, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, which is not where they live, by the way. So he said, stay here, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If we just look at this for a minute, this is confusing. I have it on good authority that this is confusing, so I don't feel as bad about it now. We actually talked about this in our home not too long ago. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism at the beach. And so we were talking about that at home with our kids, and Brooke, our seven-year-old daughter, said, Dad, if we get baptized to tell people and to show them that we believe 
in Jesus and what he's done for us, then why did people get baptized before Jesus? This is exactly what happened in that conversation too. It's just dead silence. And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, dad, you should probably know because you're a pastor. <laughs> so I did a little research. <laughs> and it actually comes up right here. Here's what we're looking at. He said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's just, this is confusing and I'm gonna do my best to summarize it for you, but smarter people than me have said that it's confusing. So let me just give you a couple of things here. In the Jewish tradition, baptism is a cleansing ritual. In fact, they probably wouldn't even refer to it as baptism. It's just a cleansing ritual that you would do before you went into your place of worship, the synagogue. So this is about cleaning, about bathing. And then with John, it changes a little bit. In fact, what John preaches is a baptism of repentance. And he's preaching a baptism of preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. And so he's saying the people of Israel need to get themselves right before the Messiah comes. And it's a baptism of repentance and preparation for the Messiah. When Jesus talks about baptism in the spirit, he's talking about something way bigger and more significant than that. He's talking about those that have claimed faith in Jesus Christ that will be baptized or empowered by the Spirit of God. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about the forgiveness of sin, not just a ritual cleansing, but the actual forgiveness of sin. He's talking about salvation from judgment. And when we talk about the gospel, we talk about being justified before God. That's what he's talking about here. This is salvation from judgment. He's talking about the actual presence of God indwelling the followers of Christ. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, that, that's what that means. And what does that enable? The Spirit enables the followers of Christ to love as Jesus loved, to proclaim the gospel message with authority. So this is a really significant thing that he's talking about. And so what Jesus says is, hey guys, hang out for a little bit because you're about to be baptized by the Spirit of God. It's a significant thing. Wait here to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so verse six we continue. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So you remember, he comes back from the dead and for 40 days he's appearing to them and he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And so when they see him, they say, Lord, is, are you going to do it right now? Are we going to see the kingdom come right now? We have a tendency um, I think as those who are in the church to be really hard on characters in the Bible. We give them a hard time for asking questions that we think are silly. Like this might be a silly question. We think because we, we have two advantages over them. One is we have all of scripture, so we know how it ends and we know where the story is going. The other advantage we have is that nobody's following us around writing down our stupid questions <laughs> for millions of people to read for the next couple thousand years. But this is, this is actually not a stupid question. This is a very appropriate question. Jesus has come back from the dead. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God. And so they say, yeah, are you gonna do that right now? Can you please? Let's like ditch the Romans. Jesus came back from the dead. What is gonna stop him now? And they expect him to do it. <clears throat> and look at his response in verse seven. So they say, are you gonna do this right now? And he said to them, verse seven, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The first thing I think is important to notice is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, that's a silly question. And he doesn't say, no. He says, it's not for you to know when. But, then he continues in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses starting here and going out. That's what he says in verse 8. So the disciples say, are you going to restore the kingdom right now? And Jesus essentially says, no, you are. You're going to continue the work that I have begun. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to give you the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Jesus essentially commissions the continuation of the ministry that he's already been doing. He says, you've watched me do this, and now you do it. You've seen what I've done, and now go tell people what you've seen. The disciples have an expectation of what the kingdom of God will look like, and part of the reason they have that expectation is because Jesus has been talking to them about it. And he says, what you're talking about is then, and I'm talking about now. I'll worry about the then, you worry about now. And now, what we need is the the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. I need you to tell people about the gospel. I need someone to proclaim my gospel and tell them about the extension of forgiveness that is given through the gospel message, like Luke 24. There are three really important things, that Jesus died, that he rose, and that somebody tells people about it. Verse one of chapter one, Luke says, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Everything he will continue to do and teach, he's gonna do through his people. And that's the book of Acts. Verse nine kind of puts an exclamation point on this, um, kind of an abrupt end to the conversation, I guess. Some of you know where this is going. That's why you're laughing. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. I know I've become too accustomed to the Bible when this part of the story, when this point of the narrative does not affect me or excite me or surprise me. We never really talk about this, that one of the people, one of the key members of this conversation that's taking place floats away at the end of the conversation. I was talking with a group of pastors this week and we were and one of the pastors was pointing out that people who have spent their life in church don't know what they don't know, or they don't remember what it's like when they first read the Bible. And you hear people say weird things in church. And we say weird things to each other. Like we talk about blood a lot, but like in a good way. Very few people do that. Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, I'm covered in the blood of the lamb? That's weird. But to us it makes sense because we understand the symbolism behind it. And I think this is like one of those moments. 
in the middle of the conversation, Jesus says these really important things and then he just like floats away into the sky. How, how does that not affect us? And how do we not, I have to imagine that if that happened to you while you're getting coffee this morning and one of you floated away, you'd still be talking about it. In fact, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be talking about that. There's something powerful and huge. This is not just unexpected. This is a big deal. And so it's kind of the same as we were talking about before. We give the disciples a hard time because they're literally standing there just staring into the sky. But what do we expect them to do? It's almost like we want them to do something now, but just think for a minute about what the followers of Jesus have seen in their lifetime. How could we possibly expect them to know what's going to happen next? These are guys that walked with Jesus, and they saw him do amazing things. They saw him turn water into wine at a party. They saw him feed 10,000 people with a kid's lunch. They saw him walk on water. I mean, their minds are blown. This is stuff you don't witness every day. And then they watched him die. They watched him die this horrific death. They saw him tortured and beaten and die. And all of their hopes for what he was supposed to be, the coming Messiah, how he'd return in glory and power and he'd restore Israel and the kingdom of God was gonna rule, all shattered. So their minds are blown, and now their hearts are crushed. And then he shows up again, alive. If they had anything left of their mind, it was blown to pieces at that point. So now they're talking with him, and they have an expectation of what he's going to do because he's telling them about the kingdom of God, and then he leaves. Of course they're standing there looking, and what do they expect? What's going to happen next? I think what's really interesting here is that Then these two angels come up to them. So they're all standing looking up and these angels kind of walk into the scene and they're like, what are you guys looking at? (laughs) And this is like the only point in scripture I can think of up to this point where people don't freak out at the sight of an angel. All the way through scripture until this point, when people see angels, they freak out. They fall down as if dead they really panic, and that doesn't happen here. And I think, like, what else can affect them at this point? (laughs) And they say, what are you looking at? But what they say is really important. Look at what they say. Look at what the angels say to them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. They're like, hey guys, he's gonna come back. He's gonna come back just like you saw him leave. But the implication here is, so why are you looking into heaven? You have work to do. Jesus just told you what to do. So now get to work. He'll come back. And the kingdom expectation that you have is coming. It's just coming then and not now. And Christ said, you worry about now and, and I'll worry about then. The very introduction to Acts, Luke says, I told you everything that Jesus did and taught in the beginning of his ministry, and I told you the irresistible message. Theophilus, I told you the story of the gospel, how salvation came. And now I've told you about the people, the men and women that were commissioned by Jesus at this point to proclaim the message and how it's gonna go out. 
And now I've told you what the angel said in regard to the coming kingdom of God, that Jesus will come back and that he will rule about, this is the kingdom Christ taught about right before he left. This is what he talked to them about before he left them, so we know it's important. And this is the beginning of it. For the disciples, this is Jesus saying, you saw me do it, now you do it. You're my disciples, now you go make disciples. You've seen what I, done, I have done, and now you go tell people what you have seen. So what do we expect from a study of the book of Acts? Luke says, Theophilus, I, I told you everything Jesus did and taught. Now let me tell you about ordinary people armed with an extraordinary message, an irresistible message, and they're gonna do amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the story I'm about to tell you. So when we talk about what do we look forward to in a study of the book of Acts, that's the story. Ordinary people with an irresistible message doing extraordinary things because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. What do we do as the church now? It should be noted that the book of Acts um, ends, it doesn't conclude. Maybe we have to nuance the difference a little bit, but that Luke stops writing Acts, but the work doesn't stop in Acts chapter 28. In fact, there's a whole church planting network called Acts 29 that's kind of founded on that idea that the work of the church and the followers of Christ continues now until he returns. We worry about now, he'll worry about then. That's the idea. What were those three really important things? That Jesus died, that he rose, and that someone proclaimed that message of what he's done. This is all about Jesus. Not only is Jesus the center of the gospel message, but then he's the one that calls his followers to do the work. He says, I'm commissioning you, I'm putting you on mission with me to continue my ministry, and then I will give you the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to do the work. The followers of Jesus are a critical piece of his plan for the kingdom, and the church is essentially God's kingdom breaking into the world today. It's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be like a preview of the kingdom of God. That's why we talk about why it's important what we do here, how we treat each other, how we treat our community, how we serve the Lord, because this is meant to be a preview of God's coming kingdom, how we act. You know, the truth is you're making a statement about who God is and what he's like. Your life, the way you live, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, makes a statement about who he is and what he's like. And the question is, what kind of statement are you making? And I have to just say, in my own life, even right now, that is not easy. My life is not always making a very good statement about who God is and what he's like. I don't always represent him well. That's why I need you. That's why I need the family of God. I need people around me who care about the same thing, which is we care about God's priorities. Even when we don't, we care about ourselves more than we care about the Lord, I need other people around me to say, hey, remember the gospel. We need to hold that out in front of each other and say, we need to care about this and we need to live like it's true. And it's really hard to do that in a vacuum. It's a lot easier to do that in a family and to hold that truth out in front of each other and to say, we actually need to orient our lives around this truth. 
That's why for the last number of weeks we've talked to you about life groups. You're like, oh man, he's going to talk about it again. Like, yeah, I'm going to talk about it again. (laughs) This is the place that I think we can do this the best as the family of God is to meet together in small groups where we have that family connection. We have real connection with one another and we can hold the gospel out in front of each other and we say, this is how we're gonna change our lives. Because we can't claim that the gospel is a life-changing reality and change nothing. Say, Jesus changed my life, how? Well, I don't really do anything different and I don't really tell anyone about it. That doesn't sound very life-changing. Some of you legitimately don't have time to be in a life group. I totally get that. We have been there as a family. So I believe that that's true. I just believe that's true of less of us than we think. I think for most of us, we just have to decide, are we willing to take the risk of being uncomfortable and being asked to do uncomfortable things? Am I willing to be with a group of people who say we want to orient ourselves around the gospel and we want to change our lives to proclaim the gospel to people who don't know it. The Bible is the good news of Jesus, the offer of forgiveness of sins and salvation and life with God. And so we're gonna say, let's get together and let's be about that. And that's hard, it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be uncomfortable because of the message and because of the work that we're gonna do together and it's gonna be uncomfortable because we're gonna have to be together with people that we don't maybe know very well or we don't get along with very well and that's why the Bible says to put up with each other because he knows it's hard to do. But it's not our desire that this should just be super difficult for you either. I really think this could be fun. I really think this should be fun. We don't wanna waste your time. So we want this to be intentional and we want it to be purposeful. I think if we say that this is how we wanna live and this is the kind of church we wanna be, a group of people who are committed to proclaiming the gospel and living that out together, then we better buckle up because that's like Acts 29. That's a continuation of the story of God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things because they're equipped with an irresistible message and powered by the Holy Spirit, and that's hard to slow down. We just don't have that much time left. We should have a sense of urgency about this message, and there are people that don't know. And if you would take out your connection card this morning, Whether you're a visitor here with us or whether you've been with us for a while or the whole time, you have an opportunity on there to mark whether you want to be in a life group. So you can put that on your card. We have a sign up in the back. You can sign up back there and you can say, I want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're married, to have a conversation first before you mark that down. As Joe said, you can also share prayer requests with us on those, but let me just say this in closing. Wouldn't it be cool if someone described our church this way, that our church was just a group of ordinary people equipped with an irresistible message that were doing extraordinary things because they were powered by the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be cool if that's how people described us? Just a group of people who love Jesus that have been unleashed to change the world. I'm gonna call the ushers forward this morning to take your connection cards, if you'd be willing to turn those in and to receive our offering this morning. If you're visiting with us, let me just explain our offering for you. This is an opportunity for those who are followers of Christ to worship him 
by giving back to him from what he's given us. This is not an expectation we have of you. So if you have a connection card, we'd love to get that from you. We don't expect anything else. We don't purchase a relationship with God. This is a response to a relationship with God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for what you're doing. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gospel story of what you've done and how desperately you love us. I just pray, Father, that we would be defined this way as a group of people, just regular people who are doing great things because of you and for you so that you would receive the glory and that you would be proclaimed. We pray this in all. In your son's name, amen.